Welcome to your Monday edition of Transformation Radio. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. with an affirmation for Marvin Wallace. Marvin, I was on the farm when you came in, and you came in real quiet, um, didn't say much, but you've really come out of your shell since you've been here. Uh, you're in the Bible every day now. You can really understand you better when you speak the Word of God. Uh, you work these, the younger kids to shame in this ministry, and you're just a real person that we all look up to. So I want to thank you for that, Marvin. All right, love you, man. 
And now, as we begin to look into today's reading of the New Testament, it will come from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 20. Now, earlier, Paul explained what to do with open immorality in the congregation. Here, he teaches how the congregation should handle smaller problems between believers. Society has set up a legal system where disagreements can be solved in courts. But Paul declared that disagreeing Christians should not have to go to a secular court to resolve their differences. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit and the mind of Christ. So why should we turn to those who lack God's wisdom? Because of all that we've been given as believers, and because of the authority we will have in the future to judge the world and the angels, we should be able to deal with the disputes among ourselves today. Now, why did Paul say Christians should not take their disagreements to unbelievers in secular courts? Well, there are several reasons. Three I can think of right off the bat. Number one, uh, if the judge and jury are not Christians, well, they're unlikely to be sensitive to Christian values. And uh, number two, the basis for going to court is often revenge. This should never be a Christian's motive. And number three, lawsuits make the church look bad, pure and simple causing unbelievers to focus on its problems rather than its purpose. We'll see as we read this passage today that in a permissive society, it's easy for Christians to overlook or tolerate some immoral behaviors, like greed, drunkenness, gossip, whatever, while remaining outraged at others, like homosexuality, extortion. We cannot take part in sin or condone it in any way, nor should we be selective about what we condemn or excuse. Staying away from generally accepted sin is difficult, but it's no harder for us than it was for the Corinthians. God expects His followers in any age to hold up high standards. What did Paul mean when he said that our bodies belong to God? Many people say they have the right to do whatever they want with their own bodies, as if they're the owners. Although they think this is freedom... They're really enslaved to their own desires. When we become Christians, the Holy Spirit fills and lives in us. So, we no longer own our bodies. We have been bought with a price, and a high price. It refers to slaves purchased at auction. Christ's death freed us from sin, but it also obligates us to His service. If you live in a building owned by someone else, you don't violate the building rules. Because your body belongs to God, you must not violate His standards for living. And with that, let's begin our reading today here in the New Testament. August 10th, the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 20. When one of you has a dispute with another believer, How dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I am saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? 
but instead one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you, and even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach, and the stomach for food. Now, this is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by His power, just as He raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never! And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the Scriptures say, The two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Our reading in the book of Psalms for today will come from Psalms chapter 31. Verses nine through eighteen, where David describes the helplessness and hopelessness we feel when we are hated or rejected, but adversity is easier to accept when we recognize our true relationship with the sovereign God. Although our enemies may seem to have the upper hand, they are ultimately the helpless and hopeless ones. Those who know God will be victorious in the end. We can have courage today because God will preserve us. In saying, "My future is in Your hands," David was expressing his belief that all of life's circumstances are under God's control. Knowing that God loves us and cares for us enables us to keep steady in our faith, no matter what our circumstances may be. Psalm chapter thirty-one, verses nine through eighteen. Have mercy on me, Lord. For I'm in distress; tears blur my eyes; my body and soul are withering away. I am dying from grief; my years are shortened by sadness. Sin has drained my strength; I am wasting away from within. I am scorned by all my enemies, and despised by my neighbors. 
Even my friends are afraid to come near me. When they see me on the street, they run the other way. I'm ignored as if I were dead, as if I were a broken pot. I have heard the many rumors about me, and I am surrounded by terror. My enemies conspire against me, plotting to take my life. But I am trusting you, O Lord, saying, You are my God. My future is in your hands. Rescue me from those who hunt me down relentlessly. Let your favor shine on your servant. In your unfailing love, rescue me. Don't let me be disgraced, O Lord, for I call out to you for help. Let the wicked be disgraced. Let them lie silent in the grave. Silence their lying lips those proud and arrogant lips that accuse the godly. Proverbs 21, verse 3 The Lord is more pleased when we do what is right and just than when we offer Him sacrifices. Hello, mercy, I have been searching for you lately. I've been wounded and from what I hear you have they told me you would be for me, so now I need to know Is this love that can save me, or say you will, then don't Will you stay with me when nobody is around? If this is real, then tell me now Can you hold me
slips in Trying to fade into the faces The girls teasing laughter is carrying Farther than they know Farther than they know But if we are the body mobilize the local churches that we're part of for the accomplishment of the Great Commission, we must give the people we lead a glimpse of a God-centered God. A God who lives to exalt himself. Now, to some that rubs people wrong, 
God's self-centered. God lives to exalt himself. If that rubs you wrong, I would ask the follow-up question, who else would you have him exalt? <laughs> you? <laughs> As if you or I were at the center of God's universe? You're not at the center of God's universe. I'm not at the center of God's universe. God is at the center of his universe. And everything he does ultimately revolves around himself. And if he were to exalt someone or something else, he would no longer be the God who is worthy of all exaltation. And he is. And we see this passion for his own glory in the nations from cover to cover in Scripture, right? From Genesis 12, Abraham, I'll bless you so that you will be a blessing and you will make my goodness, my grace, my glory known among all the peoples of the earth. Reiterated to his son Isaac in Genesis 26.4, to his son Jacob in Genesis 28.14. It's a whole story of the patriarchs that we see unfold there. It's a whole picture that, that unfolds as God leads his people out of slavery in Egypt. In Exodus 14.4, he says, I'm doing this to gain glory for myself. That's why I'm parting, splitting the Red Sea in half and driving you through on, in the middle. And the, you look in your rearview mirrors and the water comes crashing down on those Egyptians. The reason I'm doing that, Exodus 14.4, is to gain glory for myself. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. It's the story of him leading his people into the promised land. It's Joshua 5 and 6, first major battle in the promised land. City of Jericho, massive walls all the way around it. And Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, he's off by himself. Wondering, are this the first major battle? They've been training for 40 years plus. How are we going to take the city? And he had five military options available to him to take a city with these walls. Either, number one, they could go under, over the walls. Number two, they could go under the walls. Number three, they could try to break through the walls. Number four, they could send a decoy in, kind of like a Trojan horse type thing. Or number five, they could starve the people inside the walls, make them come out. So he's got five options. Over, under, through, send the decoy in, starve them, make them come out. God comes to him and he says, here's the battle plan. So Joshua's thinking, over, under, through. Decoy, starving. God says, get your music, guys. Some trumpet players. Pull out sheet music and you guys play some tunes for a couple days. And And here's the kicker. Once you played some songs for a few days and... Everybody at the same time is going to shout. The walls will come down. If you are Joshua, you're wanting a second opinion at that point. Can you imagine going back to an army that's been ready to battle for 40 plus years and be like, uh, guys, we're, we're giving this to the, to the music guys. They, they've been working hard too, and we're going to give it to them. Why? Why did God design that battle plan for the first major city in the promised land? He's doing what he does all throughout scripture. He's orchestrating the events of his people so that in the end, only he gets the glory for what happens. Let me tell you what you don't see in Joshua chapter 6. When they take the city exactly like God said to take the city, you don't see all the Israelites going up to the trumpet players telling them what an incredible job they did that day. (laughs) Harry, I've never heard you play that well. Ralph, you hit the high C. It was awesome. We went running in. No, you see the people on their faces saying only God could have done that. God is making a great name for himself. And so it's the reason behind, motivation behind all the stories in the Old Testament. Why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into a fiery furnace? 
So that when they come out on the other side without a drop of sweat on their brow, a pagan king would give glory to God for the way he saves his people. It's why God let his servant Daniel be thrown into a lion's den in Daniel chapter 6. So that when he gets delivered out the next morning alive, a pagan king yet again says throughout the land, the sovereign God of Daniel is worthy of praise. It's the whole story behind the Psalms, right? It's what the Lord is my what? Shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me. He guides me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name. Why does God guide you? For the sake of his name. May God be gracious to us, Psalm 67. And bless us. Make his face shine upon us. So that. Why be gracious to us, God? Why show us such mercy? So that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all the nations. It's the driving force behind the prophets. It's God's mercy in the prophets for his glory. Isaiah 43, those beautiful words from God to his people. Fear not, I've redeemed you, I've called you by name, you're mine. When you pass through the rivers, I pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Because I am the Lord your God, and you are precious and honored in my sight, and I love you. What wonderful words. Then you get to verse 7, he says, you are the people whom I've created for my glory. It says in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22, listen to this. God is recounting what he has done and what he's going to do among his people. And he says, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things. But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you've gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, the name you have profaned among the nations. And then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. God literally tells his people, when I bless you, it's not for your sake, it's for my sake. Among the nations. It's not just Old Testament. We know it concludes every gospel picture we have in the New Testament. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Tell everyone in all the nations about me. Mark 16, 15. Go and preach the good news to all creation. Luke 24, 47 through 49. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in all nations. It's, it's the core of Acts 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in. He's talking about grace. God's put a spirit in us. Blows you away in your seat when you think about it, doesn't it? If God's spirit is in you, why would he give his spirit in you? So that you and I would be witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's the whole story of what's driving Paul. New Testament church, spread of the gospel to, from Jerusalem to Judea, to Mary, to the ends of the earth. All culminating what we read just a second ago, Revelation chapter 7. There's coming a day when every nation, tribe, people, and language will gather around the throne and give him the praise that he is due. Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb who sits on the throne. From cover to cover in Scripture, God lives to exalt himself. He is a God-centered God. Now, here's, here's, here's why this is so important. And why we, as leaders in the church, must give the people we lead a glimpse of a God-centered God. One, because he's worthy of our worship, let's show them a God who is better than bigger houses and nicer possessions and all the pursuits and all the pleasures and all the plaudits of this world put together. Our God is better. And we, in following him, have laid down all of these things to follow him. He's worthy of our worship. We have sacrificed the right to determine the direction of our lives. He's worthy of our worship, but not just worthy of our worship. God in Christ is worthy of all of their worship. And this is what drives everything in mission. Here and around the world. This is what drives us, right? Why do we go into the communities we go into? Why do we go into North America? Why do we want to spread the gospel in North America? Because there's over a couple hundred million people in North America who are apart from Christ right now. And God in Christ deserves everything every single one of their glory. 
That's what draws us to go to North America. And it's why we don't stop here. It's why we go to Africa. Because there's 3,000 animistic tribes in Africa that are following animistic religions and gods and spirits. And those gods and spirits are not worthy of their glory. Jesus alone is worthy of every single one of their glory. It's why we go to Africa. It's why we go to Japan and Laos and Vietnam. Because there's over 350 million Buddhists who are following Buddha's rules and Buddha's regulations. And Buddha is not worthy of their glory. Jesus alone is worthy of their glory. It's why we go to India and Bangladesh and Sri Lanka and Maldives. Because there's 950 million Hindus who are following more gods than you or I can even fathom. And there's only one God who's worthy of their glory. And his name is Jesus. It's why we go to China and North Korea and Cuba. Because there's over a billion people in these communistic nations that have grown up in atheistic philosophies that completely deny the existence of God. And there is a God. And his name is Jesus and he's worthy of their praise. And it's why we go to Central Asia and the Middle East and North Africa, some of the toughest places in the world. Because there's over 1.5 so billion Muslims who are fasting and giving alms and making holy pilgrimages to Mecca and praying five times a day to a false God. And Jesus has died on the cross, he's risen from the grave, exalted on high, and he is the only one who deserves their glory. And people, people who believe that will give their lives, making his glory known to the ends of the earth. So give them a glimpse of the greatness of God. God centered God. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life. My strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, from through the fiercest drought and storm.
Thank you for listening to Transformation Radio.